They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. All right, everybody. That's actually my first time listening to that intro before I introduce my guests. So welcome, everybody, to the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. I am the Tarashuk in the title, Will Tarashuk, your returning champion, T.S. and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. And welcome to Talking with Tarashuk podcast, where I generally talk with anyone I find interesting. It's a very simple premise, I know, but today I'm speaking with someone incredibly interesting. The name is Zachary Green. Zach is a former Marine firefighter and the author of the international bestseller, Warrior Entrepreneur, the book will prepare entrepreneurs for the inevitable crucible, a turning point in their life, which will change their forward trajectory. We are here to discuss his life, his career, the book, and whatever else, honestly, comes to mind, because that's just how this podcast rocks and rolls. Zach, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on this morning. Thank you so much. I also enjoyed listening to that intro. You got me all pumped up and excited. That's that's the goal. Now, fun fact about that intro, uh, all of those voices are me. That's... That's that that the 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 read over the undertones that's all me and we had our wow. um we had our uh studio producer in Montclair New Jersey cut that together I went into the studio recorded that so yeah it took a while but I I'm in love with it I got a few other intros uh in the works so that's all very exciting but how are you this morning doing great uh so excited to be talking to you I'm a big fan of yours and what you do uh, you're a true uh you know influencer and leader in the podcast community, both in front of the camera and behind it. So I'm, I'm really pumped up to be talking to you today. Man, that influencer title scares me. That's just like my thing about influence. Like, yeah, if, if I influence you in a positive way, fantastic. I hope I do. But that comes with a big responsibility of like, if I don't do something that that, that that person deems worthy, I'm no longer an influencer. I am a bad influencer. So it's just like, bro, I'm just over here doing what I do. And if you get good things out of it, Good. I'm glad. If you don't, you know, continue on. Well, like like Spider Man said, I think with great talent comes great responsibility. Yeah, great power, great responsibility. I guess podcasting can be my power. Uh, but we're, we're not here to talk about me. He, me might be sprinkled in here and there. Um, let's talk about you. Introduce yourself. You know who you are, what you do currently, where you're from, what brings you here today. Just the the basic origin story. Let me hear it. Certainly. So I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matter of fact, lived there my entire life up until about uh, a little less than a year ago. So finally I leave and the Bengals finally start doing well as soon as I get out of town. But uh, um, I had a lot of challenges growing up. I really struggled with uh, a lot of learning disabilities, ADHD, dyslexia, behavioral issues, all the above. Um, Went to probably about eight different schools from kindergarten through high school. You know, it was always like a a round peg trying to get jammed into a a square hole. And it's funny because they call it ADHD when you're younger, but when you get out of school, it's called multitasking. And then everyone says, oh, you're a great energetic multitasker. All those times that those teachers, you know, told me I wasn't going to mount anything. I was going to be a failure. I wasn't going to do well. 
it never bothered me. As a matter of fact, it did the opposite. It, it really got me excited and challenged to prove everybody wrong because I knew I had greatness ahead of me. I just didn't know what it looked like and, and nobody else knew what it was going to look like. Um, always loved our country. I always had a deep patriotism, but especially for the Marine Corps. Uh, so I joined the Marine Corps right when I turned 18 years old. Um, a really formative, incredible experience. What was interesting is I started to really understand this whole warrior concept, which is really what my mission has been over the last year or two with my book and consulting and online training course and everything that I've been putting together. And it goes basically the the warrior's journey goes all the way back to Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey. And that is you've got the warrior gets tested and they get tried. And every time they're getting tried and tested, they're getting stronger and stronger. Think of it almost like iron sharpens iron. And then eventually you have your crucible. The crucible is that defining crisis in your life where everything that you've done up to that point is not enough to get through that crisis. And you have to really dig, dig down deep to find that extra strength, but you also have to transform and change. And my first crucible occurred when I was at Paris Island. Um, I had a, you know, somewhat of an upper-class family, really never had a lot of challenges when it came to, you know, the materialistic things. My parents always um, gave me everything I needed and wanted uh, both emotionally and also materialistically. And I get down to boot camp and I'm with kids that are from like the coal mines of West Virginia that literally, you know, they ate a fried bologna sandwich was, was about as high end as they got. Sometimes they didn't get three meals a day. Kids from the project to New Orleans that, you know, literally are getting shot at every day. And they didn't seem to have as much of a problem with boot camp. I really struggled because in the Marines, it's really tough. And my first crucible happened when I realized I wasn't as good as I, my 18 year old arrogant self thought I was. And I, I remember collapsing to the parade deck, crying uncontrollably. The drill instructor leaned over and said, Zach, your mommy and daddy aren't here to help you. And I knew you weren't tough enough to become a Marine. It was just devastating. It cut so deeply that, that, that cut that he did to me. And what I realized then is I'm not going to feel sorry for myself and I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can and cannot do. Yeah. Now, obviously he was testing me. That's part of the process there, but that was my first crucible. And my transformation was I was going to get rid of my old self. I was going to transform into this warrior and make sure that whatever happened the rest of my life, I was going to become unbreakable. And, and it, it really did. A couple of years go by, I end up getting out of the Marine Corps um, I got out in 99, 2001, September 11th happens. I felt really guilty. So I joined our local volunteer fire department to kind of give back. Uh, my full-time job up to that point was I was at Eli Lilly. I was in brand development and marketing. So spent on time on these billion dollar brands, learning how for them, it's all about solving a problem and coming up with a solution. And in that light, I got lost in the fire um, early on in my career. It was really scary, very dark and disorienting. And I wanted to find a solution to that. So I developed with some really brilliant scientists and developers this glow-in-the-dark material. Think of it as like a glow-in-the-dark on steroids. Um, put a couple prototypes on. Guys went crazy over it. Started selling out of the trunk of my car. And over the next 10 years, I grew it into about a $30 million company. And that's really what's gotten me to where I am today to write a book about my experiences and, and the warrior journey with the hope that I can inspire other people to you know, become the best versions of themselves.
I love it. Well, I hope in the journey you didn't come across any cyclops or like islands of sirens. Going back to that, home, <laughs> they're going back to that Homer reference. There you so go. Let's, you, let's go back to the Marines. Go. Eighteen years old. I'm assuming fresh out of high school. You joined the Marines. Yeah. So I did um, this program where I could go to college and the Marines at the same time. Okay. So I went through both enlisted as at Paris Island, and then I also went through the officer program in Quantico, Virginia, in the summer times. Okay. Gotcha. So. Out of all the things you could have done, why why the Marines? It's a very it's a very honorable thing to do, and you know, and thank you for your service, of course. But like, out of all the things you could have done, why why the why did the Marines stick out to you the most? Well, I, I could I could lie to you and tell you because of uh, this, that, or the other. But at the end of the day, they had the coolest uniforms. You all know? right, man. That, hey, man, that's that that's a valid reason. And I, I figure I could have a better chance picking up girls in a Marine Corps dress blues than I would in a, a Navy uniform. But no, in all seriousness, there was a couple of reasons. Number one, they're the toughest branch uh, for enlist. Now, obviously, there are other units, special warfare units and other ones that may be, quote, tougher. But as a general force, nobody even comes close to the Marine Corps. Uh, number two is I knew it was the hardest and the most difficult, and I really wanted to challenge myself. But it's interesting because I remember, again, never, ever a question that I was going to join the Marines, but I still wanted to go check out the other branches. And so I remember going to the Navy recruiter and telling me about all the adventure I would get to go sailing the seven seas. I remember going to the Air Force recruiter and he talking about um, how easy it is and how transferable it is to civilian world when you get out. The Army recruiter was telling me about these bonuses and all this money I could make. And I get to the Marine Corps recruiter and I walk in there on my typical 18-year-old arrogant self with my nice mullet and spiked hair because that was cool back in those days. And um, I said, look, you know, the Army offered this, the Air Force offered me that, the Navy did this. What can the Marine Corps offer me? And as soon as I said that, the uh, recruiter leaned back in his chair, put his feet up on the desk and said, son, we've been the fightest fighter force for 250 years and we'll continue to be that way. He goes, the Marine Corps is not going to offer you a damn thing. He goes, what can you offer the Marine Corps? And I was like, whoa, wait a second. And then he said those words. He goes, you're not even tough enough to make it through boot camp. There's no way I've seen guys like you, you'd even be able to survive something like that. And I literally grabbed the contract right out of his hands. Like, I'll show you. Sign the contract. Challenge, right challenge accepted. Checked now, and mated. The closest thing I have to boot camp is my cousin going through it, who says it was very tough. And the movie Full Metal Jacket. That's that's really it. It was 100%, except there was four drill instructors and a Full Metal Jacket. You only really see one of them. Yeah, you only needed one. That guy was crazy. So talk, talk to me about boot camp. Um what is yeah, it? Is. I, I picture it as, you know, they they break you down, they beat you down physically and mentally, but at the same time, once you hit bottom, they build you back up and you're reborn as someone else. That's potentially how I see it. So it's I'm I'm really, really privileged and I'm at a point in my life where I'm doing some of the most incredible things. And I, I moved to Hilton Head. I'm eight miles away from Paris Island. I'm on base probably twice a week now. I actually volunteer during their crucible event, which is the culminating event for the Marines where they stay up for basically 54 hours. They have to hike 20, 30 miles. They only get one meal or three meals during that time period. So I've gotten a chance to really see it, but, but the best way to explain recruit training is you got to break it up into phases. Okay. So the first phase is what's called receiving. That's when everyone just shows up down there and you think it's going to be tough, but it, it really isn't that bad. Now, the big thing they do at the beginning phase is they don't let you sleep. 
for almost three days, you're on your feet. And when you look at interrogation techniques, we don't waterboard, we don't pull your fingernails out. That's the shit you see on the movies and stuff. All you got to do to interrogate people is not let them sleep, period. They will do anything you tell. They, it's hard to lie when you're sleep deprived because to lie, you have to use a lot of other logic to try to explain your lie. So you get through that. Drill instructors aren't being that tough. And then about day five or six after they've done all the medical screening and they've done all the psychological tests and, and backgrounds checks and stuff, uh, they say, okay, now it's time to meet your drill instructors. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa who are you? And he's like, no, I'm like on vacation right now. You're going to the <laughs> building. So they, they march you out to the armory. You draw your rifle. You're all excited because you're holding your M16 for the first time. They get you into the squad bay and out comes four of the most superhuman Marines you've ever seen. I mean, their chests are this big, their waists are that big, perfectly tailored. And as soon as the officer leaves and says, carry out the training schedule for the day, all hell breaks loose. And the next 10 days, the tempo is unbelievable. Very little sleep. You're being yelled at all the time. You can't even talk. There's a special way you have to talk. You have to talk about yourself in the third person. So I have to say recruit green would request permission to speak to will. Um, you have to request permission to go to the bathroom. There's only a certain, you get five minutes and that's it to go to the bathroom. Actually, I think it's less than that. And if you haven't gone, then you're, you're stuck for the rest of the day and everything they're teaching you is comes into play later on in combat and you know whatever else so as that first 10 days goes by some people really are starting to thrive some people like myself are really starting to fail and you kind of get to that point so after that 10-day period then you really start getting into the history of the marine corps the uh, weapons hand-to-hand -hand, uh, combat all these different types of things and it starts becoming a little bit more fun but it's still really really intense What's interesting, and this is part of the warrior's journey, every week it gets a little tougher than the previous week, but it starts to feel easier. And the reason why is you're building off of all that training that you had in that previous week. You're getting stronger. Again, iron sharpens iron, this rhino skin that you're starting to develop. So by the last week or two of the cycle, which is the most intense physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you're actually pretty well prepared for it because you're, you're transforming into this warrior, this Marine. And it's so funny because I noticed that when I grew my business early on, it was really, really tough. Uh, when I went from making, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year to several million dollars a year, it was so much tougher when I was making several million, but I had learned those lessons early on with all the challenges I had when, when the company was starting out. Yeah, I can tell you from selling a company myself, it's not easy. It's fact, it's very, very difficult. And you, and you didn't even do it during a pandemic. So I'm sure we could go on and on and on about the Marines, our place in the world and all that stuff. But I'll bring you back for all that. We'll do a whole special on just military stuff. I want to talk more about firefighters. So you go from the Marines, you want to volunteer after 9-11, become a firefighter. Um, where, where were you a firefighter? This was... Uh, Cincinnati area. Cincinnati so it's in area. town of Wyoming. Uh, we are a suburb surrounded on three sides by Cincinnati. So our community was only about 8,000 houses, but we still made about a thousand runs a year because we did a lot of mutual aid for the neighboring departments. And, and some of them had some pretty intense, um, you know, situations, I should say. Yeah. Cause that, that's, that's like what I always wanted for firefighters. Like, you know, I live in a populated city area. Every now and then I'll hear the sirens go off. I live right next to a firehouse, but 
Like, what's what's the day to day like for a firefighter? Like, what what are your typical calls? Like, is it a lot? Is it a lot of fires, electrical issues, whatever, a cat in a tree? Like, what, yeah. what what's a typical day as a, as a firefighter? So, believe it or not, we still do get cat in a tree calls. It I happens. love it. It's amazing. Um, it, it's funny because we always tell people, ma'am, have you ever seen a tree, a cat skeleton in the tree? You never have. They always come down. And if you put a ladder up on that tree, they're going to go up higher in the tree and be more even difficult to get down. But no, um, I would say the vast majority of what we call smells and bells, alarms, mm-hmm. um, false alarms, that thing. The problem is, is you have to treat every false alarm like it's the real deal. Go in there in full, full gear, full setup. Um, we have a lot of um, what we call EMS uh, uh, support runs where we have somebody that they just need more manpower. Maybe they're a very heavy set person and we just need help getting them out of the house. Maybe it's a trauma and we have to help provide advanced life care for them. Um, but then uh, the next thing probably would be the motor vehicle accidents. And because mm-hmm. we were a community uh, that had a main thoroughfare and um, there's this concept called mechanism of impact. So if you're on a freeway and everyone's going 50 miles per hour and you hit the car in front of you, the mechanism of impact may only be five or 10 miles per hour. Or if you go into the guardrail, it's 50 miles per hour because it's your speed minus the speed of whatever's in front of you. But when you're on a road that doesn't have a barrier, like our situation where you can go 45 miles per hour and another car is coming at 45 and they hit, that's a 90 mile per hour mechanism of action. That's pretty damn serious. So you get a lot of car extractions and other stuff. And then the fires, I would say probably somewhere a couple dozen a year where you're actually something's on fire and you're putting what we call wet stuff on the red stuff. And then I'd say there's about three to five a year that are what, what we call, um, you know, the, the real, the real, the big ones, we call it, see it, the big one. And that's where we're, you know, fully masked up hands and knees, 0% visibility, um, fully involved houses. And and that's where anything happens from making rescues to recovery uh, to very, very intense uh, dynamic actions. And you just never know. I mean, you can have one day where you'll get two major structure fires in one day and then nothing for the next two months. Um, There's just no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, it's just sometimes fires just just happen. A lot of them are accidents, and it's just crazy situations. Um, so what's like what's the most dangerous situation you've been in, or one of? Um, you know, it's interesting. The um, the most interesting thing I find is not the big fires. Those are actually, I wouldn't say they're easy, but those are those things that you get used to and it's, it's science. I mean, it's just physics. You, you yeah. find the, the, the red stuff, you put the wet stuff on it. The most scared I ever was, was a carbon monoxide run. I went into a house, I actually knew the family, everybody had headaches. They'd all been sleeping a lot of day, which is the number one thing. I go in the front of the house. You can't smell anything. The dad's acting kind of weird and my meter goes off. And usually, and again, I'm sure I don't remember the exact words. It's, 10 or 20 parts per million of carbon monoxide is considered serious. When you get above the 80 to almost hundred point, then you're talking trouble. And when you get anything over hundred, you're in a lethal situation. This guy was reading 300 parts per million. Oh my God. So as soon as we opened that front door, I immediately backed my crew out. We masked up full coverage. He's looking at us like we're funny and we're screaming, I'm get out of the house. They're all kind of like taking their time. We're like, no, get out kids upstairs asleep, which means the kid was in big trouble because that's one of the signs 
we got him out before, you know, we had four ambulances out front. We're giving them all oxygen therapy. And I would say they were probably somewhere in the 15 to 45 minute range of the whole house being dead and all five of them not making it. So for me, that was the most scary thing, just because how simple it was, how routine it was. We walked up to the front house, like most carbon monoxide are, which is not that big of a deal. Yeah. And um, that was scary. Uh, so that was one, um, you know. How does how does something like that happen? How does a carbon monoxide leak happen? And, like, and why, know, is, why, main, is a fire, why is a firefighter the one to take care of that? Yeah, so anything that's, you know, considered a life-threatening illness, the fire department covers it, where the police are more if it's like a, a person that's causing the problem. Right. We cover more if it's something that's causing it. Main source of carbon monoxide is just outdated, like, hot water heaters or HVAC system. I'd say the most common thing is you have a blockage in the exhaust of a, like, so a lot of your um, HVAC is gonna exhaust into your chimney. And if you get a squirrel in there or a uh, bird's nest and that blocks the ability for your heating uh, a unit to expel that carbon monoxide, it'll hit that uh, bird's nest and then start backing back down again. Right. So those are, those are the areas that, um, you know, get a little uh, um, dicey with that. And then the thing, so the, the need of a um, carbon monoxide detector, I think in some ways is even more important than a smoke detector. Yeah. Cause at least you can, you can see and smell smoke. Like, this is a straight up gas. Like I remember when I moved in, You'll um, never know. Never know. My my monoxide detector had to be replaced. And I was like, oh, they better take care of that like today. Because <laughs> God forbid. Um, so talk to me about the brotherhood. It's like yeah. you, you go you go from the brotherhood of a military, which, you know, band of brothers, to a brotherhood of a firehouse. So talk to me about the relationship between the two and like I guess this the brotherhood, the differences, the similarities and difference between the brotherhood in the military and the brotherhood in a firehouse. You know, it's a really good question. And the whole time I thought that I was joining the Marine Corps for patriotism or joining the fire department for service to my country or city or community, the reality was it wasn't any of those. I, I said it was, I thought it was, but it was always about having a sense of purpose and being part of an elite team and that brotherhood. And that's what I was chasing. You know, I, I had a great experience in high school football and wrestling and hockey and being part of that team when I was in the Marine Corps, even though these are guys I had virtually nothing in common with, um, they were my brothers. I mean, we did everything together. We, we fought together. We, we bled together. We cried together. We, you know, chase strippers together. I mean, all the crazy oh, stuff that you do. Um, but if they weren't in the Marines and I was in the Marines, I would probably not even say hi to them on the street. I just had nothing in common with them. There was something about when you suffer together, the, the growth that happens. On the fire service, you know, that's really the, the power of the fire service is that brotherhood. It's sitting around on the tailboard of that fire engine and um, just telling stories and just making up lies and telling jokes and just smoking and joking, as they say. And it's funny because it goes all the way back to, um, you know, as far as our company, country's history with these firefighters, it started actually with the Irish because the Irish were the absolute lowest class of society in, in our country at that time. And the, the worst job that was worse even than being a garbage man was being a firefighter. So the, um, 
the, the, a lot of the Irish, and I can say this because I'm part Irish, um, that was a real component of it. And so when you see firefighter funerals or events, you see a lot of bagpipes, you see the kilts, you know, those are all yeah. in that Irish tradition. And it's because the Irish couldn't hang out with anybody else. And so that fire station was kind of the natural component there. So, you know, we went out together, we hung out together. We had a lot of fun together. We, we battled fires together. Um, but yeah, that was really special. And, and that's something that I, I deeply miss right now. Do you ever, do you ever go back like, um, or just you can, you can like volunteer time at the firehouse. Obviously hmm? you don't want to be fighting fires. Um, I'm assuming you're, you're retired from that and you know, you're a business owner, but you could still, you you keep in touch with them? Do you ever go back, charity events, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of Facebook. You know, I've connected with some of my fellow Marines that I haven't talked to in 30 more years with uh, Facebook. Um, as the fire department, you know, the company that I started was never supposed to be that big. I had no idea it was going to take off the way it did. And, um, you know, a lot of my time would be spent building my business. I traveled on average 150 nights a year for uh um, you know, five, six years. So I would, wasn't spent a lot of time at the firehouse and eventually just, you know, left, retired, quit, whatever you want to call it, the fire station. And it's cool to come back. And it's really, for me, it's special. You know, we've moved from Cincinnati down here to Hilton head and driving by a fire truck. And I see my products that I invented on the fire truck. And I go into the fire station and they're like, Oh my God, you're that guy. It, it's really special. And, and, and to feel like I'm helping to continue to serve them. One of my proudest moments happened a few months ago when I was down on Paris Island and the fire department of Paris Island uses all of my products and they absolutely love it. And I was talking to them about it and they were just talking about how great it was. They had no idea that that was my company. And so for me to have my life and experience start at Paris Island, 30 years I come back and now I'm leaving a lasting legacy on the island. That that was really special. All right, it's a perfect pivot to the business. So you, you start as a Marine, go to the firefighter, now, that's not necessarily the typical roadmap I would see to be a founder, CEO, entrepreneur. So how did you become a businessman? You know, you're part of m which has three global brands, Lumware, Fire, Foxfire, and ClearGuard. And you've uh-huh. close to $30 million in raise or $4 million in, re- in venture funding. So how do you do that? How did you, like, did someone mentor you and teach you along the way? So, like, how did you learn about money, finances, business, entrepreneurship, or just, like, how? Like, how did you learn all that I mean, stuff? I, I wish I could give you this great answer about how I got this MBA from Wharton or Harvard or something like that. Yeah. But the reality is I just, I screwed up a lot and eventually it all started working out. You know, fake it till you make it, so to speak. If you figured it I, out. Yeah. And honestly, yeah, honestly, Zach, that's like, that's, like, that's like the most American thing I've ever heard. Just fuck it, figure it out. You just figure <laughs> it out. And that, that's the deal because I don't believe, especially with entrepreneurship, you're going to get a lot of value in formal education. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a guy that dropped out of high school and just hustled selling stuff out of the back of his car and doing stuff and built his cuppa more than someone that, that sits there and, and talks about, you know, Keynesian economics and, you know, pivot tables with macros on Excel spreadsheets to do forecasting. Um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur ever since I was a little kid, when I was very, very young, I would um, uh, just do entrepreneurial type things. And, um, as I started to grow and, and 
run through the corporate ladder. You know, I was in the software industry for a while, then pharmaceuticals. I just soaked up as much as I could, you know, Six Sigma, lean manufacturing, all these different types of courses and training on HR and interviewing and leadership. Cause I knew one day I was going to start something special. I, I truly believe God put me on this earth for a very specific, specific reason to change the world and to, and to help people. And, and, and I'm fulfilling that now. Yeah. Um, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't really easy, but that's, you know, the warrior's way. And so when I got out there and, you know, I think I can really boil entrepreneurship down to three questions. And you just talked about mentors. Absolutely. I've had tons of mentors. I've been mentors. I sometimes get more out of mentoring other people than I did when I was somebody who was mentoring me. Definitely. But here's the three questions that I ask every entrepreneur I work with, the three questions that are absolutely essential to growing a business. Number one, have you solved a problem in a unique and elegant way? At the end of the day, it's all about solving a problem. And sometimes you have to convince people they have a problem that they don't even know they have. Number two, what is your unfair competitive business advantage? Not illegal, not ethical. It's got to be unfair. And the reason I say that is we're David and the big companies are Goliath. We have to be able to beat them, not with our strength and size and power, but with our agility and our strategy. So an example would be of an unfair competitive business advantage is you've invented this paper cup that keeps your coffee warm and you get in with Starbucks and they sign a one year exclusive with you versus nobody else. That's an unfair advantage. My unfair advantage was I only hired firefighters. I developed a network of 400 off duty firefighters from all over the country to represent my products. And the reason that was an advantage is the big companies like Honeywell and MSA and Carnes and those other ones, they're hiring guys that are in suit and ties. Some of them had never even fought fire before. They're just slick sales guys. I guarantee you the first question every firefighter asks when you show up at their station is, are you a firefighter? And if you're not, you'll never ever get their respect and and trust. It's very difficult. The third one is you have to have kick-ass sales, marketing, and distribution. Without question, the most important of all those. You can take a really bad product, and as long as you put it through good distribution, you'll be successful. The Snuggie, stupidest idea in the world, billion-dollar brand because the way they distribute it. Um, If people remember back in the 70s and 80s, there was a guy named Gary Dahl. He invented the pet rock. Oh it was a rock. It's a rock. You put it in a box yeah, it's a and rock. it sold millions. Google it. Google the pet rock. Yeah, the pet rock doll, VHL. But his marketing was brilliant. His distribution was brilliant. So if people can't find your product and they don't know about your product, it doesn't matter how good it is. And the trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is they're so scared that someone's going to copy their idea. They spend so much of their most important resource, which is cash on patents when the reality is is you and i can never afford a patent lawsuit we may be able to afford the patent but the patent's not worth anything unless you have um the uh uh, money to defend that patent yeah so those are all the things that that start to happen that you need to to worry about and then finally distribution for us our turning point was getting home depot uh we were doing really well the company was making a lot of money we aren't making a lot of profit but when we got home depot to start distributing our products it just took off from there that's interesting because pod, i'm thinking of podcasting I'm, I'm trying to answer these questions in my own head right now so it's like i think okay distribution with podcasting it's it's like well if you distribute free on all of them <laughs> Like all the major platforms, it's free. Anyone can do it. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, et cetera, it's free. So it's like podcasting kind of cuts it off at the top. 
where it's just like, okay, distribution, done. Like, what makes you unique? Well, it's like we well, gotta have an idea, and like podcasting is an early, an early stage. It's podcasting still in its early stages, and no one has quite cracked that code for how to make it like the next step. Everyone's doing them. A lot of people are doing them. A lot of people are paying attention to them. It's not to make a lot of money, but there's still a lot of space for innovation in the podcasting space. So how did you innovate your space? You know, you mentioned that you go to the firehouse, they see all my products. So I guess, what are the products? Yeah, so they're, they're glow-in-the-dark material. So the problem is, is when you go into a fire, you either lose electricity, you lose smoke, and as a result, you can't see anything. I mean, right. we're talking so black, your hands in front of your face, you can't even see your fingers. So that's the problem, all right? The solution is how do we orient yourself because when everything's dark you don't know left right up down forward backwards if i go into a room and it's at a daytime fire and there's a little tiny light coming behind the blinds that's all i need as i'm searching around that room to orient myself because i know if that if that light is here that the opposite way is where that door is because i remember that's the way i came in but when everything's dark you, you don't have that so then the next problem we've got is anything with batteries or electricity or light bulbs is probably going to fail when you need it most. Murphy's law. It's pretty darn uh, straight on. Well, can't go wrong, we got a lot of heat. On. We've got water. A lot of that stuff needs to be recharged. And when you get done with a big worker, a big fire, and you may forget to put your uh, flashlight off your gear into the charging bank and charge it back up, which is what happened to me the day I got lost. So that, that's the problem. So now let's talk about the solutions. Now, what you don't want to do is go around talking about features and benefits. Let me give an example in my case. If I went to your firehouse and say, hey, I got this stuff that glows in the dark. It glows really bright, glows for 15 hours. It glows at 760 uh, micrograms per meter squared, which is the way that you measure glow in the dark light. You're like, dude, I don't care. So this is what I would do. I'd go, hey, well, I'm Zach. I'm a firefighter from the Cincinnati area. Can we go in the bathroom and turn the lights off together? I got something cool to show you. <laughs> no. So right off the bat. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, right off the bat, you're like, what the freak is this guy talking about? I'm memorable. Okay. I guess Number so. two is if you give me the chance, and most firefighters spend a lot of time in the dark with other dudes they don't know, and that's just what happens. They're like, sure, why not? So then I would go into the firehouse, we'd go in the bathroom. And the reason we chose the bathroom is there's no windows, there's no yeah. light that's coming in there. And I start talking about, hey guys, have you been in this situation? We're all like, yeah, this happens all the time. So I'll have them all turn around three times and tell them to find the door. And of course no one has it. Then I open my bag up and there's my glow in the dark stuff that I had charging out in the sun right before I got in there. And first of all, the wow factor, they're like, oh my gosh. I mean, this stuff literally lights the whole room up. But now I said, what would happen? And I would take something like an ax and throw it off the corner of the room. Now, if we're doing a search and that ax represents the door, you're going to have a problem seeing the door. So by doing that, these guys would go nuts. And almost every time they would buy pretty much everything that I brought with me. So that was how I really built that whole solution-based selling and didn't focus on it. I do want to go back to what you said about the podcast, because I think we can easily put podcasting and specifically what you're doing into those categories. Okay, shoot. So the first one is why I, I'll just ask you a question. Why would someone listen to your podcast? It's a great question. So like for this podcast in particular, or I'd I say like any podcast, if I'm running across someone who's looking to start a podcast, I'll go, okay, what kind of podcast are you looking to start? They go, you know what? Like, I'm a business owner. I'm thinking of a business podcast. I go, okay. Here's all the podcasts I do with business people, entrepreneurs, 
listen to their story, get inspired. You wanted to a podcast, I'm thinking of writing a book. Here's all the podcasts to do with authors. You talk about the writing process. Go listen to it. Get inspired. As you said, um, influencer. I do it for influence. So for like, I will take these podcasts and push them onto other people what I see fit. Someone's doing investing. Like someone's just like, you know, I'm looking to get into stocks and stuff. I'll hand them off to uh, the uh, Andrew Davis, who was a, an investor in comic books, an alternative investing. It's like, yeah, you know, traditional investing is great. You might do well depending on the stock. You know, here's other options. Collect Funko Pops. They sell for a lot of money. You never know what people are going to buy. So, like, listeners to podcasts, it's kind of – it's networking. It's all networking. Yeah, so so what you answered for me was you said, you know, someone wants to start a business. That's that's what you're trying to do is teach them how to do it. Yeah. Someone's trying to network sometimes to grow something. I would argue is if someone's going to listen to your podcast, first of all, you have a really fascinating premise, and I absolutely love it. And it's just what's well, cool. My problem is I'm going to go out today and I'm going to go ride on my bike or walk on the beach and I get bored out of my mind because I got ADHD. I got to listen to something. You're solving the problem of my boredom by giving me something interesting, by giving me the opportunity to think about your words and your guest and your show to take my mind off the how much it sucks to go running. And I've got something interesting to do. So that, that, that's your solution. So then the next one becomes what's your unfair advantage? What can you do differently? And that could be through partnerships. It could be through this network that you've developed in your case. Yeah. I would say that your unfair advantage is you've got a lot of technical know-how. I mean, what you did with that intro, that would take other people would have to spend thousands of dollars to do that. And then finally your, your, sales marketing distribution. Now, obviously, yeah, that's great that it's distribution is free, but what about your social media following? What about the cross marketing promotions you can do? Those are the things that we can think about. And then once we can really get that distribution out there good, and we're solving a real problem, and we've got an advantage that's taking care of somebody else when we compete, then we can start to monetize it. And the way that you monetize a podcast is real simple. How many listeners and downloads do you have? And the more you can build that, the more value. That's why Joe Rogan sold his podcast for millions of dollars because he has a lot of listeners and downloads. So we can take any idea, any thought process you want from being an accountant to being a guy inventing glow in the dark stuff to a podcast host and run it through those series of questions, those three questions, and really start to develop a a good business plan and, and a solution. And you also have a podcast. Um, So plug your podcast. Yeah. So um, I'm really trying to start this new journey. And the journey started with the book, The Warrior's Entrepreneur. The book talks about um, the science of adversity and how adversity makes you grow and get better and get stronger. It then transfers into my story. And then finally, I interview a ton of warriors, ranging from a mom that, uh, you know, working two jobs just to make ends meet, to entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, had to go bankrupt and multiple times till they things finally worked out, to Uh, the first ever female Marine infantrymen, CIA officers, FBI. And this common thread that I found was hardship. Iron sharpens iron and grows you. And that's really what the podcast is. So the podcast is called The Warrior's Voice. We have two versions, a video version and a audio only version. We interview everyone from uh, we were right now just had a wonderful interview with the commander of the recruit training regiment, uh, regiment at Paris Island. This is the senior most official guy on Paris Island for training troops, telling us about their journey to make a warrior and to make a drill instructor and what you need to do. 
We've interviewed uh, people, a, a world-class musician on how the importance of spirit and the mind is uh, to um, the warrior's journey. Uh, we interviewed a gentleman who lost a son to cancer. Two years later, his other son committed suicide. A month after that, his wife kidnapped his daughter and how that hardship has made him a better person and made him uh, really pursue his passion, which is helping other people go through crisis in their lives. So that's that. And then the, the culmination here becomes this online training course. Now it's going to be very different than your typical online training course where you're looking at PowerPoints or stuff. We're going to create a board game that's going to be kind of like shoots and ladders or like Candyland for warriors. So you're going to start off working your way through these different squares on the board game. And we're going to focus initially on the warrior tactics, the warrior traits, leadership, tenacity, courage, serenity, morals, all that type of things. Once you make it through that part of the journey, you can choose which track you want to take. If you want to go to the start your own business track, we're going to take you step-by-step on how to put together a good entrepreneurial plan, how to build a business pitch, how to uh, pitch to investors, how to grow. If you want to go down this other track, you can go down the sales and marketing track or, or you can go down the finance track and as you're on this board game you get to choose what adventure you need to take um, but if you're not really good in this one area and you think you want to skip it you can always go back because maybe there gets to be a challenge on that journey that you're like i can't solve this well that's because you skipped over the finance section go back and do that and the content's going to be a lot of me talking we're going to have one-on-one coaching opportunities there's going to be a workbook that goes with it where you have to fill out stuff during each step of the process review it we're going to have uh build a community of groups have seminars and so this whole concept of trying to help develop other warriors that can accomplish whatever their missions are in their life be it make it money be it uh health and healing whatever that's awesome i'm looking i'm looking forward to that and that kind of goes hand in hand with your book warrior entrepreneur so what made you want to write a book after all the things you've done in your life? You're like, you know what? Book. I haven't done that yet. Let's do it. You know, I think the number one thing was I wanted to give back. Uh, there were so many people that had such great stories out there that needed to be told. Um, I had so many great mentors. And rather than just mentoring one or two people, I, I wanted to see how I could mentor the largest group. Um, the other thing is I'm a storyteller. You know, ever since I've been a little kid, I, I love to tell stories. My, my, Dad has always given me a hard time. He's like, you exaggerate. I'm like, dad, I'm not giving a deposition in court. I'm telling a story. If I have to make it a little more fun or a little more interesting or exaggerate a little bit, it's entertainment. And that's really what I want to do is to tell stories and explain examples of how people got inspired through their adversity. Um, everyone told me I should just write an autobiography. And as I sat down, started working on it and eventually met with my editor and their staff, he politely basically told me other than your mom and your wife, nobody really wants to read your autobiography. Yeah. He's like, unless your name's Barack Obama or Elton John or something famous, he goes, you need to tell a story and you need to use examples. And the story that I realized was the warrior's journey and what it means and taking it from the Homer and, um, you know, battling the Cyclops and the Hydra and all that stuff to modern day warriors and what they go through. Um, and that's how it came out. It, you know, when the book was finished, I read about the first 15 pages. Honestly, Will, it sucked. I'm like, I, if I bought this book, I wouldn't even finish reading the first chapter. And then you go through the editorial process. And I had like six different editorial steps from 
content to structure to syntax to you know punctuation each of them had the different thing they worked on they didn't really add anything to the book they took a lot out of it and they rearranged stuff and then the story was like wow like i read it so many times now because i really enjoy the book i mean it's it's a great journey and story good that's fantastic so tell me some of the stories in the book some of the warriors you highlight Yes, I think um, two of my favorite stories, um, one is about a marine aviator. Uh, They were flying on what they call a blue water mission, which means that um, there's no way you can get to land. Once you take off on the aircraft carrier, you've only got water. They were off the Indian, in the Indian Ocean. Um, They were having what's called double pitching seas, which is the worst. So you're pitching the, the, the carriers going up and down and left and right. So at any time when you're going to land, you could be 20 feet above the deck, 20 feet below the deck, 20 feet to the left, 20 feet to the right. And it's just going like this. His uh, wingman, the guy that was next to him, goes in and just as he's landing, it raises 20 feet, crashes into it. Whole entire aircraft carrier goes up in a ball of flames. He's got to pull off with the rest of his 10 other jets. They realize at this point in time, they don't have enough gas to make it to the mainland. So they're either going to have to eject into the ocean of which case they probably would not make it because of the waves and everything else, or they're going to have to land on the aircraft carrier. Well, thank God, right as the accident was happening, they launched a refueling tanker, which is able to get up and give everybody enough air to get one more pass to land and hearing him talk about confidence and how he had to go through what was training, how he had to lead his men and, and teach them how to go through that process was, was, was absolutely essential. And he did it. And obviously they all made it. So that was just a great story about confidence and courage and, and those type of things. Um, the next one, other story that I really liked again was about the first ever female Marine. She grew up and was born in a Russian Siberian prison wow. and then um, got adopted by an American family I uh, was able to convince a recruiter to get her an infantry contact, which was unheard at the time. But she basically said, I'll challenge every single male to a, a pull-up contest. And if any of them beat me, I'll, I'll walk away. And she beat every one of them. Wow. And so that was able to, to get that taken care of. So it was really fascinating uh, story there. All right. Love it. All right, Zach. I think that is a good place to cap off as we are running out of time. But last question always goes to the guest. Do you have any questions for me, my friend? No, this has been great, Will. I really appreciate you having me on the show today. If people want to find more information about the Warrior Framework online training, the book, or anything, just go to my website. It's warriorentrepreneurbook.com. And there's a contact us area in the thing. I am looking for beta users for the online training system. We'll be offering a deep discount for anybody that wants to be a beta user. Um, You will take the course, but we're going to ask a lot of favors of you of just giving us feedback and what to happen. In addition, you can also buy my book, Warrior Entrepreneur, on that website. Uh, You can use coupon code podcast2021 for 50% off, or you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or pretty much anywhere books are sold. All right, we'll be sure to link to all those in the description on YouTube as well as all the podcast platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Zachary Green, a phenomenal guest. I had a lot of fun. Can't wait to bring him back so I can ask him the rest of my questions I have on this sheet, dig deep to the military, and I'm sure whatever else will come to mind. But ladies and gentlemen, that has been our podcast. My name is Will Tarash, and this has been Talking with Tarash. Again, that last name is Tease and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. To find all of my stuff, head over to Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. 
Ambiguous.com to learn about everything we do over at Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, because I am the entrepreneur as well, the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. My other podcast, the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, where I talk to anyone I find interesting as long as they have a podcast. We talk about their podcast, their journey, what they're doing, what they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. This podcast is the exact same thing. Just you don't have a podcast. It just talk about anything other than the podcast you don't have. Uh, email me, Will, at APSpodcast.com. That's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com to learn more about being a guest on the show. Let me know why you want to be on either show. And if I, you make me go, ooh, that's interesting. Congratulations. Make it on. It's as simple as that. But I'll be back next time with a brand new guest. Talking about, who knows? We'll see. I'm doing my own odyssey uh, where I speak to a bunch of people I connected with in my past. So that'll be fun. I can't wait to see you all there. Recording stopped.